Hello, and welcome to ECNM On Air, a podcast series from ECNM Magazine that shares industry intelligence, insights, and opinions on all topics electrical. I'm Ellen Parson, editor in chief of ECNM, and I'm here today with a few executives whose engineering firms made our top 40 electrical design firms list this year. Not only are we going to discuss some of their firm's secrets to success, but we're also going to talk about the latest trends they're seeing in the industry, what it's been like recovering from the pandemic, combating the skilled labor shortage, and the biggest challenges they plan to tackle in the next couple of years. ECNM On Air is one of the many benefits available to our members only portal, which offers exclusive member benefits and premium content that's hand selected by our editorial team. If you're interested in finding out more, you can register on our website, ecmweb.com, in the drop down menu under premium content. And if you're listening on a podcast app, please check our website for the links mentioned in this podcast. You can find it in the premium content area. So today we're talking with Scott Wheeler of the Engineering Enterprise, Ken Golovko of HED, and Cyrus Izzo of Siska Hennessy Group. I'm going to let our guests introduce themselves briefly today before we begin. So Scott, would you like to start? I would love to. Thank you, Ellen. You're welcome. Uh, pleasure to be here. Uh, I'm Scott Wheeler with the Engineering Enterprise. I'm a principal and the president of the firm. We're an electrical only, electrical and low voltage design firm based in California. We support uh, the whole state of California with four offices, specialize in, in all markets uh, with the exception of a couple being retail and, and uh, residential, even though we do do a lot of multifamily residential, just not single family. Lots of uh, education, healthcare, data center work. And uh, as I said, a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Hey, Ellen. Great to be together with you and Scott and Ken, really excited uh, to spend some time with you all. My name is Cyrus Izzo. I'm co-president of the Siska Hennessy Group, and um, I've been with the firm just about 30 years now. We are a full-service MEP, ICT, and low-voltage, as well as facilities management and commissioning organization. We have 19 offices, both domestically and internationally. And some of the major markets that we cover include mission critical, aviation, commercial, healthcare, life sciences, really anything that um, has a complex business problem that needs to be solved. And hello, Ellen. This is Ken Golovko. I'm with HED. We're an integrated architecture engineering firm with eight offices ranging from Boston to San Diego. We really try and play in most markets. Uh, it sounds similar to what Scott was talking about. We don't do single family housing. We do some multifamily. But on the engineering side, as engineering practice lead, I like to try and make sure we're focusing on more technical projects. So mission critical data center, healthcare, uh, manufacturing and product development, science, uh, higher education, especially lab type facilities. That's where we really like to spend our time. But we really we, we will work with our team members uh, where our clients need us the most. Okay, great. I think I want to add in, I'm going to ask y'all, did y'all mention where you're headquartered as well? Siska's in New York, right? Yes, our headquarters is New York City. Okay, and Ken, where are you all? Our headquarters are in Detroit, Michigan. Detroit. Okay, and Scott? Alameda, California. Okay. Okay, so now that we know a little bit more about our guests, let's go ahead and jump right into some of the questions. Um, I first, I wanted to start, we just finished up our top 40 electrical design firms special report that ran in our June uh, print issue. It's also online right now. And all of your firms are part of that, have been for many years. Uh, so I wanna just kind of talk about the overall uh, statistics there with the revenue numbers. Um, this year, the collective group actually posted a combined electrical design revenue total um, that's 13% higher than last year. So we're basing this off of 2021 numbers because we have a full year. Um, that's what we're reporting on for 2022 list. Um, so it was 3.1 billion compared to 2.3 billion. So I kind of wanted to just gauge, does that surprise you all given the impact of the pandemic or are you not surprised? You know, that I, I think I was a little surprised that it went up that much this year, you know, compared to last year. I'll, I'll jump in um, and say, based on the amount of work I've personally been doing, I'm not surprised. Um, no. But but I, I think that that the slowdown, if it did happen, happened more in 2020. Those uh, 
you know, from the time that we started working from home, I feel that the entire industry, and I know we really adapted well to the, to the work from home model. Mm-hmm. I believe that, um, and, and the industry as a whole, I think in a lot of cases, the, the move to virtual meetings made all of us more efficient. And I think we're going to continue to see more virtual meetings versus not, which, which was always a, an issue with some clients. And so I think those are here to stay. I, I also feel that, that whereas we're still dealing with the pandemic and still dealing with some work from home, I feel that a lot of clients and owners and organizations had moved towards kind of reopening by 2021. And the, the downtime that they had uh, where everybody kind of buckled their, you know, buckled down and, and saved money and, and kind of tightened their budgets. I think the, the 2021 was really seeing those, that work that owners and clients did I think it kind of opened the doors for more work to happen in 2021. Okay. So, uh, so I, I wasn't really uh, shocked. I think the 13% is a pretty, that is a pretty big number, but I do think that, um, that, uh, you know, maybe a little surprised, not certainly not shocked, but, and it seems like it's continuing. Although now there's some things that are kind of affecting that on the other right. side. Okay was that 13% higher? It, it felt to us like we were just getting back on track. So mm-hmm. it's 13% higher than when we were really hit during the heart of the pandemic. It feels good. It's great to have that that uh, business coming back. And I would agree with Scott that I think that firms that were able to adapt quickly to the remote work lifestyle, it it really benefited us. And you know, there's the other discussion we can have. Everyone on this call, I think, does a fair amount of work in mission critical and data center. And that work accelerated because of the pandemic. And that really helped, I think, push some of these numbers up. Yeah, I would um, continue on that line of thinking that Ken said at Cisco Hennessy Group. You know, it's interesting. I think it really proved out that having a flexible, adaptable workforce really helped be able to pivot to a a work from home environment, but more importantly, or or as importantly, I think having diversification of geographies and market sectors was critically important because as Ken just mentioned, say mission critical, you know, kind of blew up as far as uh, how much work was being put out and it really impacts mechanical and electrical primarily. But yet other markets, you know, that were in, for example, retail, hospitality, uh, even commercial office, right, are still at some level struggling. Maybe certain pockets uh, are doing better, but as an overall market, I think you're still looking at the mission critical, the healthcare, the life sciences markets, even light industrial and manufacturing continuing to show a lot of strength. Okay, that makes sense. Um, so it sounds like, you know, for this year, 2022, uh, top 40 electrical design firm survey. That is based off of 2021. And then last year, the 2021 report was based off of 2020, like we just explained. So, you know, last year, the survey, it was everything about the pandemic. Uh, That was the single most challenging factor facing everyone, obviously. And so this year, it seemed like from, at least from the survey responses, that that top priority has shifted to staffing issues. Um, So here's just one statistic. the number of respondents reporting staffing issues went up from 70% last year to 92% this year. And so obviously recruitment's a priority in um, retaining those employees. But the one thing I found was really interesting, 100% of the respondents, which I've been doing this for like 20 years and I've never seen 100% of the respondents ever agree on every, anything, but 100% of the people who answered the survey said they would be adding headcount. So I thought that was you know, a powerful number. Uh, So is this something that you're seeing, you know, in your firms, as far as uh, are you seeing a similar strain when it comes to hiring engineers? Um, The number one uh, most difficult position to fill as far as the respondents went was project engineer. 
So I just kind of wanted to see how you all feel about that when it comes to your individual firms, if that was, you know, ringing true for you all as well. You know what, Ellen, I could maybe kick it off. Okay. Um, at Siskanacy, you know, yes, you know, I think anyone who says it hasn't been more difficult to hire, it's probably not really in the game. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's not so much that, that it's difficult. It takes more time. There's a lot more involvement at people at every level, you know, starting with myself and the leadership team to recruit every position at the firm. You know, we're still very focused on like-minded individuals who have the kind of culture and the DNA of our organization, as well as people who are very much focused on innovation. Um, So if they have all of those kind of components on a cultural side, you know, if they're mid-level or senior level, of course, they'll come with experiences. We also do a really robust college recruiting plan where we grow from within, if you will. So we're focused on every level from, you know, college grads to the most senior levels of uh, the technical ladder. And although, yes, it has been difficult, I'm happy to say, you know, our retention rate is probably north of 95, 96% year to date, but it, it takes a, it takes a lot of effort. Um, That's wonderful. Whether it's retention yeah. or recruiting. I know it's a problem also for our, we are also have the top 50 contractors survey, which is the biggest contractors and they're reporting the same things. Obviously it's, they're having a lot of trouble. So I, I think it's probably more of an issue with the contractors maybe than the engineers, but it's still an issue with the engineers, obviously. So um, Scott and Ken, do you, are you seeing similar things or has, has the recruiting and retaining employees not been an issue for you? Like the respondents of the survey indicated. Well, uh, recruiting is always, I think it's our biggest challenge in our industries where we're providing services from professionals. So that is our, I think it's our number one challenge, getting the right people in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it, it's kind of a double-edged sword though. So it's hard to find the right people, but one of the benefits that we've seen come from the pandemic is we're breaking the preconceived notion that somebody has to sit in the office. Mm -hmm. So by being flexible, by finding people who can get in on a semi-regular basis, maybe you're in one, one day a week or something, maybe you come in for a week, a month, um, to be able to create that face-to-face relationship, it allows us to hire where we aren't. Mm -hmm. And if we find the right person and we can reach out and have them work remotely, that gives us uh, an advantage maybe over some of our competitors who want to have somebody in the office five days a week. So it continues to be a challenge. Uh, right. We continue to to hunt for all those great people. The the compatibility with your existing teams important, as Cyrus pointed out, your technical acumen, and and really nowadays your ability to communicate via a a, a camera mm-hmm. and a computer. Um, how do you build that relationship? How do you, how do you grow the person? So um, maybe even it's better that we're interviewing remotely now, because now we know how they're going to engage with us and with our clients when we bring them on board. Mm -hmm. How about traveling? Like those remote people, um, do you have a lot of in-person clients they have to physically go there? Or are you, I think Cyrus mentioned too, you're doing more meetings virtually, but there's probably still some in-person contact that has to happen with your customers. Yeah, we feel we feel you need to create that personal face-to-face relationship. It smooths out the uh, the the camera relationship. Yeah. If you get to know somebody as a person, uh, it's it's far more valuable, and you can have a different level of engagement remotely. So it, it is important to get our our leaders, our key team members who work with the clients, in front of the clients on a semi-regular basis, just as it's important to still have some sort of a social opportunity, get to know your own team members in-house. So that face-to-face is, maybe it's more important than ever because it, it translates into a different engagement across the, the computer, across the camera. Okay, makes sense. Yeah, and if I could, I, I'll, I'll maybe add some things. A lot of it might be... Uh reiterating what's been said, but um, first of all, I wonder if you took this poll today, if everybody would say, if 100% of people would say that they're going to hire, because things have shifted so quickly, Mm -hmm. and I I think there is a little bit of a concern with (laughs) 
inflation in the economy. Uh, there, you know, we've right. seen projects go on hold and canceled mm -hmm. in the last month. And um, I was thinking about some of my answers when during the uh, article, mm -hmm. and I'm like, it's if I could go changing. back, uh -huh. I yeah, it's changing already. So, so that's that's one thing. Um, the difficulty in hiring project engineers that's a mid-level position and i totally agree and and i'm kind of with cyrus that we we look to to hire straight out of college and build employees finding somebody uh, at least from our standpoint has always been very difficult we're, we're a relatively smallish company so we're we're recruiting as individuals and and hiring as individuals we don't have a person full-time doing recruiting which some some firms do and so so finding that that right person to fit into the culture has been difficult and so hiring out of school training and then working on retention is of the utmost importance the difficulty is is hiring out of school mm -hmm. um i i feel that our industry and specifically electrical engineering within our industry is one of the most difficult positions to hire in period and the reason is is because we're competing with tech companies like google and apple uh, amazon for electrical engineers and our industry frankly in my opinion anyway can't compete from a on a lot of aspects that they're gonna yeah. we're gonna go up against tech companies right. mm -hmm. starting with let's be frank starting with pay mm -hmm. and so that's that's the difficulty is finding the individual that wants to be in this industry you have to want to be in this industry and almost seek it out um and now the one positive that i am seeing is i'm i'm, I'm on the uh industry advisory board at cal poly san luis obispo and we've been talking about this a lot and that is a lot of engineer electrical engineers getting into power design which is what we the people the, the young students that we try to hire are there because of sustainability typically they're there for renewable energy energy storage okay and so we've been i've been talking to we as a group of, the, of our board has been really talking to the the uh the department about building off of that let's let's put more of a focus in universities and specifically at cal poly where i'm a part of Let's put more of a focus on building the program around more sustainability, around more renewables, around more energy storage. Mm -hmm. I feel that because of the the generation that we're talking about and their their desire to be more sustainable, I I think it's going to start improving. Right. And and our the pool of employees I feel is gonna is gonna get better. Um, if we can find ways to increase pay and compete from that standpoint, which means it's going to cost more to do, do business and to do our fees are going to have to go up. Mm -hmm. um, that that would even kind of speed that process up, I feel. And it also seems like training them on the job because school is one thing, but then when they get in these engineering firms or contracting firms, it's not things they've learned in school. Like you have to train them, you have to teach them the job and they don't even really know what that job is until they get there. It sounds like, because we just recently, um, we have a 30 under 30, you've probably all seen that of, you know, up and coming engineers or contractors um, and they're all under 30 and just over the years, seeing what they value in a job has changed. So just it, not necessarily younger people, cause I'm not, you know, I'm 52. So um, I don't relate to that as well. So, but people coming right out of college, like my kids' age, like they value different things. It's not just pay. It's like you said, that what is the culture of the company? Sustainability. What are your values on this or that? Um, do you offer flexibility? Um, PT, like a lot more things are important to them than maybe in the past. So are you seeing that as far as the young people coming in, um, you know, that they're wanting different things than maybe five or 10 years ago? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I would say, Ellen, you know, from our perspective, we just hired, you know, on average, we'll hire anywhere from 20 to 30, to maybe this year's a high watermark, 33, I think we're up to okay. college graduates across the yeah. firm. Now, those are both electrical and mechanical. Um, 
we've actually done a very deep dive with our, we call them the EDT program, okay. um, engineer development and training program. We've done a very deep dive and surveyed them both formally and informally to say, you know, what is important to you all, the values, et cetera, to make sure there's alignment uh-huh. with our stated mission, vision, and core values right out of the gate. I think, you know, it's interesting though, we have 19 locations, we're north of 500 people. You know, it's a little bit rough to think that you can train them up, as you said very well, right out of college in a remote work environment. So we have um, went more with a hybrid environment where we expect especially senior level people to be in almost most of the time, right? Because part of their job is not just to do great jobs, you know, bring in new work, take care of existing accounts, but a really big part of their job description is to train up the next generation and create succession plans for themselves. And that's very difficult to do with a young student. I think of myself mm-hmm. coming out of college, I would have failed miserably uh, in a remote environment trying to learn all there is to learn technically mm-hmm. as you come up in through this business. So right, I think it's incumbent on all of us. I think you're right. I think it's incumbent on all of us in all the fields mm-hmm. to make sure that these college graduates are getting the training that they deserve. Yeah, and one thing to add, um, Ellen, you you mentioned that when they get into the workforce, that what they do on a day-to-day basis is not anything like school. And and especially within our industry, you don't learn building or facility design in college, at least mm-hmm. even, you know, most of the power is based on uh, utility work. And so, right. so there is not the specific... Uh, education. Now, what I tell every engineer, young engineer that that I talk to, whether it's in an interview or or here, is that we we hire people, we hire personalities, we hire attitudes, because we are, like you said, we're going to train you how to do what we do. And 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 w- if I hear that, well, I'm not doing anything I learned in school, then I take a step back and suggest that they they are because what you learn in engineering school any of it is is critical thinking logical thinking problem solving Mm -hmm. so i i could hire any engineer that has problem solving skills and train them how to be an electrical engineer okay because they've learned in engineering when you go to school for engineering i think that regardless of your discipline you're learning a lot of skills that could transition into a number of different uh career paths, really. Yes. Uh, just going back to a little bit what Cyrus is saying, I think it's, it, it ties to what Scott's talking about as well, Ellen, is how we train them. So there is this desire for a hybrid environment. And there is uh, you know, a perception that that is what they're going to be coming into. And it's creating this balance where we have as Cyrus said, the senior engineers in to train these younger engineers coming up through the industry. But we still need to find a way to balance it. We we need to find that personality, like Scott said, that meshes with our team. I think that when we find those great engineers, they're also able to do some work remotely. And it's almost... I believe it's going to be an expectation moving forward that we have a way to work through this. The face-to-face training is hugely important, but there's going to have to be some of that trust coming from us to uh, to our newer employees saying, yeah, we we expect you to do your job remotely. We expect you to pick up the phone or or shoot mm-hmm. us a, a Teams message or something if you need help uh, in addition to our planned training for you. Yeah, it's definitely kind of a new world. It's a balancing act that you all are, uh, it sounds like you're doing a great job with it, but it's definitely a challenge for the engineering firms as well as the contractors. Um, so kind of shifting gears, I uh, wanted to talk about maybe some short-term and long-term um, challenges for you all. So it sounds, you know, from the survey we saw, most people consider they're already back to normal or close to back to normal as far as whatever that means, you know, back to normal. Um, but uh as far as short-term challenges go, what would you say <clears throat> you're seeing in the field and on the job site? Um, most, the majority of firms uh, named, I think Cyrus pointed this out, 
delayed projects was the number one answer that they found was the most challenging. And then that was followed closely by supply chain issues and canceled projects. And now inflation is probably also up there, but I don't think we even had that on the, as things are changing that fast. So uh, what are you all seeing on those areas with short-term challenges? I know we're still seeing supply chain issues okay. and it is, but it, it, it's really an opportunity, I think, to help modify how we're doing the work. Um, I'm a big fan of design build. I think it, when it's done right, it's a great tool for the owner to be able to have cost certainty, schedule certainty, elements like that. The, the piece that I think is so important is this integrated design or integrated partnership with a builder and designer early on in the project, we can help alleviate some, if not all, of those supply chain issues. Okay. Um, as designers, we aren't as in touch oftentimes as our builders are about what can be brought in in a timely manner or what needs to be um, ordered early in order to get on site in time. So okay. I think taking the time spending time with our building partners, whether or not it's design build, to talk about what the most efficient solution is for the client is something that has been pushed more because of the supply chain. And I hope that we embrace it and keep on moving forward with that sort of uh, partnership. Okay, right, to make more progress there, because that's always an issue. Any yeah, other think, thoughts on the short-term challenges for your yeah, firm? The, those are great points, Ken. I'm 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 working on about thirty percent of our projects right now are design build, and I and I totally agree. And we've been seeing that as a solution for some of the supply chain, but some of them are so extreme that um, we've even had to change our designs. I mean, we've gone from three months on equipment to ten to sixteen months. Wow! And some of it is uh, we've got a project right now where just a switchboard is extending the completion date of, of an office building. And, and so it's, it's things like that that are, even in the design build realm, they're difficult because no matter what, things change throughout the, throughout the design process. Um, and then there's some extenuating circumstances depending on the systems that, that don't even allow us to, or, or are a much higher risk if we do early uh, procurement. Um, and then full design stuff is a whole nother story in terms of how we, how we react or, or deal with these, the lead times and the supply chain stuff is, is off the charts right now. And, and I don't see, or I I've seen a little bit of, of improvement, but not right. enough to where it's making me feel comfortable. Right. That. Do you have any, any thoughts on, I mean, nobody really knows this, like how long is this going to be an issue? You, <laughs> I've I've talked to a couple couple manufacturers. <laughs> That's a hard and, one to answer. Yeah, and calls. and and unfortunately, we're we're talking about we're talking about little parts and pieces for the right. most part. Right. I mean, we're not talking about the actual box that the gear resides in or the bus or. Uh -huh. I mean, we're literally talking. I talked to a manufacturer the other day, and we're literally talking in a lot of cases about lugs. Oh my. And why we can't bring lug, uh, you know, we can't build them in, mm -hmm. in their, they can't build them in their plant. I, I didn't get into that level. I think they are buying them overseas. And even, even simple things like lugs are, are the one item that's, that's uh, causing a large piece of switch gear to be delayed. And, and so maybe this will lead to more in-house manufacturing for those parts and components from some of the large manufacturers of switchgear and other generators is another one to to help this and and hopefully it's it turns into a positive at some point and down the road um you know lead times are maybe back to where they were if not even better those are great points hey Alan, the only thing i would add i agree with everything both ken and scott reported is, you know, all of these challenges have always been dealt with in the construction industry, mm -hmm. designers, contractors, you know, we, we come together and we solve really complex problems, but it really starts with a willing owner. If the owner has put together a team with like-minded people who want to solve the problem and the owner has to understand, you know, some of this risk has to be on them as well, right? Because at the end of the day, they also get the asset. 
So I think it's important that you're working with the right ownership team who put together the right designers and contractors to solve these problems. We, on this call, cannot solve inflation, right? So right. cost certainty is a little bit wishy-washy right now. Yeah. And same with schedule, based on what Scott just correctly you know, stated. So I think we have to be mindful of the fact that the owners, you have to have an open conversation with them early in, you know, and sometimes often, but definitely early to make sure everybody's aligned on what the project goals are and how are we going to get there? Because there will be headwinds and, you know, some of these we just can't predict. Okay, absolutely. Let's kind of shift to, we, we touched on this a little bit. I'd like to talk a little bit more about the vertical markets. Um, what maybe you thought were bright spots for 2021, 22, you meant everyone mission mentioned mission critical data centers, um, but I think similarly, uh, respondents named healthcare was number one, that's been number one for many years, the followed by education, um, and then not surprisingly, hospitality and retail did not fare as well. So um, what strat strategic areas are your firms pursuing this year? And maybe has your focus changed at all as a you know response to the pandemic or other factors? I could kick it off if you fellas want. Okay. You know, I, I think I think you're right. You know, healthcare and life sciences, we kind of bundle those together at Cisco. Those have been extremely strong and, and for decades have been strong. I think mission critical actually has in, in our organization kind of topped that even over the last, you know, two to three years for sure. Um, the amount of people connecting to the cloud, people using Zoom calls, right? Uh, right? Educators, healthcare professionals, et cetera. The list goes on and on. We also see smart building design uh, really taking off, uh, especially when we're looking to solve issues like resiliency and sustainability. And uh, last but not least is aviation and transportation. We've been um, really, really blessed with a lot of very large, complex aviation projects across the country that have really buoyed kind of the organization. You know, when it comes to hospitality, retail, and even commercial office, I think that has a ways to go um, to get back to what anyone would consider normal. And uh, that's kind of the way we see it both across the country and in our international locations as well. Okay. Yeah, we, we at HED, we haven't really changed what markets we're targeting. We still want to hit all of our market sectors as hard as we can. Um, the hospitality, you know, yeah, it, it did slow down. What we're seeing outside of the data center, which, as Cyrus said, really is, has been just going all out over the past few years, um, a lot of building repositioning, and, and that's even related to life science and pharma. So we are seeing some reduced occupancy for office spaces. So a lot of our clients we work with to talk about what can we do? And they see the benefit of potentially shifting to, um, you know, instead of 100% office space, maybe it's 50-50 office and lab. So we work with the clients to try and identify how that, how that can, how the building can be repositioned. And you're beyond electrical, you, you have all the other disciplines as well. So how do you make use of your building stock that you have? How do you make it more attractive to tenants? Um, that's been something that's pretty big. Vertical farming, incubator labs, okay. a lot more of the, the technical side of, of the industry, I believe, has been stronger. Okay. Yeah, and for us, uh, like Ken said, it's not, we, haven't, we haven't shifted okay. our, our focus um, and, and I guess a lot of that's because our strength has been in the diversity of the markets that we serve. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's what's kept us afloat for almost 50 years is, is being in different market types that we, okay. you know, one or the other is typically going up or down. Mm -hmm. And so having that diversity has kept our workflow pretty, pretty solid. Um, right now, we're, we're really, really heavy on the education side, I will say. Um, a lot of times we will have a large transportation or airport project going on. We don't right now. So, uh, we are looking for the next one. Okay. Um, and, 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 but I am starting to see that, uh, obviously that market took a hit. That was probably one of the biggest hit markets and things slowed in my opinion for, for quite some during the pandemic, but we're starting to see some of those projects that were supposed to come out, you know, mid 2020 that have been finally making their way out to the public or, or to the design industry. So 
Um, and, and I'm also seeing a lot of state work here in, in our Northern California area for the state of California. Uh, a lot of that is, is uh, a lot of it's been done and a lot of it's, it's kind of on the winding down mode, so to speak, but, but I think that there will still be uh, a pretty good market from our, from the state of California within the Sacramento region. Um, and, and like we talked about earlier, you know, not necessarily a market, but, but we're really leaning on our design build experience and really, I, I wouldn't say focusing on that, but we certainly are looking for opportunities always on the design build side. Okay, great. Um, so with the pandemic, and we've talked about how the virtual meetings are way more prevalent, um, just different ways we've adjusted to doing business differently. Uh, we always ask on the survey how technology is impacting your business. So we have questions about augmented reality, virtual reality tools, different tools like that. It seems like these are buzzwords and, you know, it depends on the firm. Like some people are saying, oh, we've been using these for five years. And then other people say, I don't think this technology is ready. So um, are you all implementing those types of tools into your work right now? Is it something you're working toward or, you know, how, how does that work at your individual firms? I'll dive in here, Ellen. Okay. So, because it's mostly we, for collaboration, I'm I'm it, guessing it, it it is for collaboration. What we find the most beneficial is augmented reality for the clients. So, whether you're working with a developer who wants to come up with what something might look like on a site, mm -hmm. um, rather than just doing an elevation in 2D or even doing 3D elevations. Um, we will go to augmented reality and create a walkthrough. So you, you can even pass that on to our clients. And I mentioned the building repositioning. It's been really valuable for that as well. So you have a big shell space, a whole bunch of columns and concrete and some hanging wires. Um, some of the clients just, they don't have the vision because they don't do this every day. So what we do is we create a, a, an augmented reality where they can even hand a flyer out with a little QR code to their potential tenants. You can take a shot of that with your phone and you wander around the space and you can actually see a potential layout. Uh, getting that into the hands of potential tenants has been really powerful for our clients. And even some of our clients, it helps them really visualize what they are offering up to their clients. So that's been a real positive one for us. Um, and then in addition, uh, a lot of 3D printing for visualization for the clients. How is the massing of the building going to work? Um, how are you going to be laying it out on the site? So those have been really key technology elements that we've used a lot of, of late. Have you been doing that for years or is that growing in demand or is it, is it not really that new for you guys? You know, the 3D printing is just a quicker way to step maybe our architects away from uh, um, um, just doing regular model building. Uh, the augmented reality, I would say for the past two years, we've been doing that. And it's it's really something that has taken off more like a, a virus in our, in, our, in our company. So this person heard about how that person's doing it. Oh, wow, look at the lighting layout. That's incredible. Can we apply that on our project? So okay. it's been word of mouth um, and it's been really successful. Okay, great. Yeah, most of that from our side and Ken said we, I'm assuming he said we because he has architects sitting next to him. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I could be wrong, but most of that from our side, we're giving some input to architects to implement into that walkthrough. But yes, yeah, certainly in interviews or or during design build competitions where you're uh, you wanting to show them their space, certainly. But for us, and, and we've messed with some other tools, uh, nothing that has really caught on. Uh, but one of the things that from a technology standpoint that we're, that I think is fascinating and, and fun and, and different is we're doing a lot of design tool building within Revit <clears throat> internally. Okay. And, and that's, that's been fun. It's something new, you know, electrical engineering is, it has, you know, tends to be same thing day in, day out, over and over. Now things have popped up 
over the years that make it you know new and fun. And for us right now, it's building some of these tools. So we're, I mean, we have five or six individuals who are not coding full-time, but doing a lot of coding internally and, and rolling those, those tools into Revit, you know, into our own uh, toolbar ribbon. And, okay. and, and that's helping with efficiencies. It's helping with coordination and, 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 and we're even trying to talk about how these tools function and, and try to get some of our other uh, team members, whether it's other consultants or architects to do some similar things that will help all of us, right? So that we can extract, extract data from their model more simply, because we're trying to do that right now, but everybody, if everybody does their models differently, right? Sure. That, that becomes complicated. So. Mm -hmm. So Ellen, you know, I could speak for way too long. I'll try not to. We really doubled down on technology at Cisco. We launched a company called Cisco Innovations LLC about uh, two years ago, I'll say. And it really encompasses all things that we're doing both internally and externally. So I'm going to walk you through it real quick. You know, we have a VR lab in our office. So what we do is we build these models, we put them into the lab, we have all the goggles, the clients come in, they get to figure out in the chiller plant where the valves are, do the building engineers like it, do they feel there's enough space, too much space, how does that all work? So we've been doing that pretty successfully for the last three or four years. But what Cisco Innovation's done, you know, in addition to like the VR lab as one spoke in that wheel, is really kind of made investments internally into things like shock tank events to get our employees that have our core okay. innovations DNA, you know, mm -hmm. as part of who they are. It really helps with recruiting and retention because so many people get excited about it. And then we're making investments and maybe, you know, going to market with some of these products and services that these really smart people come up with. The last piece of that puzzle is externally where we're taking a very deep dive and putting up real money, both sweat equity and real equity into some startup firms that are really disruptors, right, to the AEC space. And we're piloting those um, alongside the founders to be able to give them real feedback to improve their product or service. One that, you know, comes to mind is a company called Open Space, which is a very powerful tool used in the field to take real-time snapshots of the contractor's work in the field. So if you ever want to check it out, you could check out our website, but it's a really cool place uh, that yeah. we're playing a big role in, in innovations. That sounds like a whole story in itself. So I'll be talking to you about that later. That's really cool. Um, do so. Yeah, I kind of wanted to wrap up, um, mention that we talked a little bit about, I, I'm not sure which one of you were talking about the federal dollars. Um, kind of wanted to touch on the infrastructure act, like how big of an impact you think that's going to have on the electrical design firm business. Um, it didn't seem like from the survey that people felt it was going to be a big factor. Most respondents said it was either going to have a minor or a moderate positive impact on their business, but only a little over half of the people anticipated more than a 5% revenue increase from the, these kind of federal projects. Um, I, I'm sure it depends on what firm you are. Some people work way more in that space than others, um, but definitely roads and bridges were the top answer for what they thought was going to be the most prevalent as far as new work, followed closely by uh, electric vehicle charging infrastructure and then water, wastewater. So I wanted to see um, you know, what you all make of this in the kind of the grand scheme of things. I know that's gonna be spread out over five years, I think. So um, how do you think that's all gonna, shake out there? Well, I could kick it off. I, I was down in DC maybe a month ago meeting with some of the authors of the bill and um, some of the senators that are behind it. Uh, you know, the one thing I would add that they, they hit it right, your, your readers definitely hit it right with EV, et cetera, but broadband is also a, a fairly significant piece okay. of the uh, Infrastructure and Jobs Act. So I agree, you know, it's roads, it's bridges, it's a lot of uh, civil type projects, tunnels, uh, railways, but railways, aviation, and um, EV charging. But the one that I think they missed was broadband. There's a, okay. a pretty significant, you know, um, kind of carve out in the bill for broadband. So hopefully that'll continue to help all of our different businesses when our owners get, you know, closer to the technology and closer to the information. 
it'll help kind of expand all of our practice areas. Okay. Yeah, and the only thing I'll, I'll add, a lot of the, the markets that you touched on there aren't markets that we dabble in, um, but the, we, are, we are already seeing, especially in, being in California, we're seeing significant EV charging projects. Okay. Um, we're, we're working on uh, bus charging for school districts, bus charging for cities. Uh, so, so we are already seeing uh, movement in that. And that, a lot of that's based on, you know, the, what California has said in terms of when all vehicles are to be electric, mm -hmm. which I, which I think will just continue to push that market. Um, so, so we're seeing a lot of that. Uh, I, I agree with Cyrus that if there's stuff that trickles to the airports, that'll hopefully impact us as well. Uh, a lot of the other stuff is, is kind of outside of our market. Okay. A lot of horizontal, not as much vertical. Um, I know federal government GSA has put out some uh, IDIQs for adding in a lot of chargers, but I haven't seen, I, I'm hopeful, Cyrus, that we're going to see something on the broadband side, but I haven't seen it yet. Right. We're probably going to just have to see what happens with that. Um, I think we're, we're getting close to time. I wanted to just give you all an opportunity to, you know, mention any words of wisdom or anything you wanted to touch on that we haven't discussed so far. Any big things you think we need to watch going forward this year and, and next year, since this whole discussion has been about trends. Um, and then we'll go ahead and wrap it up. I, I could kick it off. Thanks, Ellen. Mm -hmm. uh, first off, again, thank you for having us. You know, there's been terrific discussion. Definitely. I think, you know, two things that really, I think, would weave throughout this chat today and continue to be things that keep me up at night for this industry, not just for Cisco and our clients is, you know, education and making sure that we're all leaning in and figuring out ways that we could help STEM education around the country, whether that's through the national, regional or local ACE mentorship programs, et cetera. I think it's really important that we continue to get people excited about this field. And the, the only other thing I'll talk about again is uh, disruption to the AEC industry. There's a lot of terrific um, people out there that are developing things that will change the way kind of we do our work, whether it's through design, construction, or even facilities management operations of the facilities. And I think if we're not, you know, ahead of the curve, we're going to be left behind. So I'd be on the lookout for disruptive technologies as much as possible. Thank okay. you. Yeah, I will second uh, the thank you, Ellen. This has been a great conversation. Cyrus and Ken, I've appreciated uh, hearing your thoughts and it, it makes me think I should get uh, into some groups more where we're, where we're talking about things like this. Um, I think for us, it's, it's the challenge of, of the hybrid uh, work and culture. And, you know, I've, I've been reading every article I can get my hands on about how to maintain culture in the, in a, in a virtual world. I haven't read anything that seems like the magic uh, right. potion yet. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I still, and, and maybe it's because I enjoy being around people and, and uh, but you got, you also have to be careful. You're not completely pushing your ideals on, on others. I mean, things have changed, people change, uh, what have you. So that's, that's a continuing um, challenge for us, but it's certainly one that um, that we're ready for. For us, culture is of the utmost importance, and that's the one thing that we feel, uh, you know, with our firm, we think it sets us apart and and allows us to retain employees. Uh, from a from a engineering standpoint, um, one of the things that we're investing a lot of time and effort into right now. Uh, haven't seen a lot of it in projects yet. We a lot of it starts on a project and, and then gets value engineered out of the project, but that's energy storage and microgrids. Okay. And obviously in the state of California, we're preparing for our new energy code, which is gonna force some of this stuff on us. Mm -hmm. uh, but but yeah, the the energy storage markets and the microgrid markets, I, I think are are one of those markets that are gonna um, you, you know put some like fun, more fun engineering into uh, changes, right? The changes that I that I said don't happen. Well, these are some big changes that are coming, I think. Okay, great. And a couple items. I, I agree that 
with Scott, it, how we staff hybrid-wise, finding the right people. I think staffing will continue to be a huge element to watch within our industry. Um, and how do we lure those people in? Well, I think it even ties back into those interesting energy challenges. Scott mentioned you know, um, microgrids and energy storage. We think that building and designing strongly, highly sustainable solutions that by being sustainable and having a, a lower energy and carbon footprint, they're also more resilient, um, hugely important for our, our healthcare side. But I think it goes beyond that now when we look at potential for, for powerful um, storms, um, different other environmental impacts, we need to be able to have buildings that can ride through that. So looking at how we can more holistically consider a building from an energy standpoint um, and using that to be able to create a resilient structure, I think that's gonna be a big piece of what we're looking at in the coming years. Okay. Those are all great points. This has been a fabulous discussion, honestly. I just really enjoyed it. I think the listeners are going to really get a lot out of this. So I really appreciate your time and all your insight. Um, so it looks like we're out of time. And I just want to thank our guests for sharing their insights, industry knowledge, and experiences with us today regarding trends in the electrical design industry for engineering firms. And in closing, I'd also like to thank Senior Associate Editor Ellie Coggins and Associate Editor Michael Morris for editing and putting these podcasts together, making this valuable information available to all of our readers and listeners. For more information, visit our website, ecmweb.com. This podcast is produced by ECNM Magazine, part of the portfolio of Endeavor Business Media Publications. Well, I think that's it for now. I'm Ellen Parsons signing off of ECNM On Air. Please let me know if you have any podcast topics you'd like to listen to in the future. And don't forget to check out the members only portal on our website for more podcasts and other great content resources for electrical construction professionals. Thank you and have a great day.